What is up, Freedom House? Good to see you guys in the house today. Wasn't it amazing watching all of those people get baptized? So incredible. That just sets the tone for where God is going to take us next. I am so excited to be with you guys. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, like my husband said, my name is Diana Henderson, and we get to be the campus pastors at our South End campus, Dirty South, coming up to Central today. And if you're new to Freedom House, I just want to share that we are one house with many rooms. So in addition to the South End campus that I mentioned, the central one where you are now, we also have a Lake Norman campus. And if you're ever traveling, don't miss Jesus at church. You can tune in live. We live stream all of our services every weekend. In fact, we got people joining us right now from Puerto Rico. Come on, somebody. Georgia, Florida, Rhode Island, Iowa, Arizona, Illinois, North Carolina. Carolina, Ohio, South Carolina, California, Los Angeles, uh, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Indiana, West Virginia, New York, Maine, and Texas, y'all. I think they just put all the state abbreviations up there to test me. What do you think? Welcome. If you're joining online, we're so glad to have you. Hey, listen, we do things a little bit differently here at Freedom House. We have a live communicator every weekend from our teaching team at every campus, every service so that you get a live word of God. Now that's a vision from our senior pastors who are absolutely amazing. Can we give it up for Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell? They fight hard on the front lines for all of us, and I am so grateful for them. All right, guys, we got to dive in today. We got a lot to cover. Y'all ready? Okay, we've been in a building series all year. We started off talking about spiritual battles and covering the armor of God. And then we moved on to solid ground, talking about the condition of our heart soil. Then we discuss firm foundation, which is all about spiritual disciplines. And now we're interior decorating. We're talking about the table, but specifically God's table. And today I want to go OG style. We're going to read straight from the Bible. If you've got your Bible with you, if you've got your Bible app, if not, cheat off a neighbor. And we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, this is King David, 
who was once shepherd boy David, who defeated Goliath. And he's talking about Saul, who was the previous king, and Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who was David's like, bruh, his BFF, his ride or die, his best friend. And he wants to show honor to Jonathan. Verse verse three, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there's still a son. His name is of Jonathan and he's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amael in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amael. When Mephibosheth, y'all turn to your neighbor and say, Mephibosheth. (laughs) If I've got any expectant mothers in here, please do not name your child Mephibosheth (laughs) because you can't even pronounce it. So Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Turn to your neighbor and say, eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down again and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're not a dead dog. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. In other words, Mephibosheth is sitting right there, and King David is talking to the servant because he wants Mephibosheth to hear what he's saying to him. And he says, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. All right, let's break this down. What's happening here? We got King David. He was once anointed king. Some 13 years later, he's now the appointed king. And he's ruling and he is walking in the favor of God. He's having success after success on the battlefield. And he decides he wants to show mercy to the preceding king's lineage. Now, why is that unique? Because most kings, when they came into power, they would eliminate the lineage of all of the preceding king's family because it's a defense mechanism. They're like, I don't want anybody to rise up against me and overthrow me. But David did the opposite. David restored Mephibosheth. He honored him. He brought him back into his house. Today, we're gonna see how God does that for us. You see, just like Mephibosheth had a seat at David's table, you have a seat at God's table. I grew up in a military family That meant that we moved around all the time. In fact, I counted at one point 16 times in 11 years, which meant that my surroundings, my friends, my location, everything changed on the regular. But my family had this table. 
It was this wooden table that had been in my family for generations. And this table, it had these leaves that would fold out to make the table bigger. You could fold the leaves down to make it smaller. You could open up the table and slide in an insert to make the table extra bigger. Now this table was a staple in my life when everything else was changing. Now that I'm an adult, I'm married, I have three children in my house, the table is a centerpiece for so much in our lives. The table is where we eat dinner every night together. The table is where we have hard conversations. The table is where we've counseled married couples, where we've led people to the Lord. Our table's where we play bingo, skippo, and uno, all the O's. Our table is not just where we experience physical food for nourishment, but also spiritual nourishment. You see, in the scripture, the table was representative of God's provision and where God would show up for his people. But here's the thing. God's table has rules. My table has rules. Does your table have rules? At my table, you chew with your mouth closed. That's right, and amen up in here. At my table, you pray before you eat. And if you eat before you pray, you're the first one that's gonna pray. At my table, you ask to be excused before you get up. The table has rules. You know, when I first started in the marketplace, I, my, my manager at the time said, hey, listen, we're gonna be doing some fine dining, like white tablecloth dinners. And I didn't know how to do that. So I, I took an etiquette class to learn how to fine dine. Now remember, I showed up at the etiquette class. It was this white tablecloth table and it was full of like place settings more than I could count. Anybody ever sat down at a table and you're like, um, I don't know what to do with all of this. Well, I'm gonna teach you a rule at the table. Everybody make okay symbols with your fingers. And then close your fingers. On your left is a B. On your right is a D. That means your bread is on the left and your drink is on the right. Yeah, you learned something new today, didn't you? Yes. How about all the silverware? There's like 800 pieces. What do I do with all that? Well, you work from the outside in. How about your napkin? Where does it go? In your lap. And when you go to the restroom, where does it go? On your seat. See, you guys learned something today. You didn't even know you were gonna learn something. God's table has rules as well. And what I wanna cover today is four rules at God's table. Now, I'd encourage you, take some notes. We've got a Freedom House app that you can download to take your notes in there, or you can write them on a piece of paper or write them on the forearm of your neighbor next to you. <laughs> Number one, rule at God's table, you belong. You belong. There was a psychologist from the 1940s by the name of Abraham Maslow. Some of you might remember growing up learning about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He created this pyramid that talked about the fundamental needs of human beings. And one of those needs was to belong, to belong. We all have an innate and inherent need to belong. 
The definition of belongingness, I looked it up on Wikipedia, it's our human emotional need for interpersonal relationships. We need relationships. It's affiliating, it's connectedness, it's being part of a group. We were designed to belong. I was watching Rambo 3 the other day with my son. Anybody a Rambo fan up in here? Okay. Well, Rambo, I'm not gonna do my Sylvester Stallone accent because y'all will probably laugh me out of here, but he's talking, he's in Thailand in Rambo 3, and he's talking to his former commanding chief who's trying to like recruit him back, and he's like, listen, I belong here. I I like feeling like I belong. Even Rambo likes to belong. We have a need to belong. You know, I said growing up, I was in a military family. The fact that we moved around so much that my family or that my environment changed so much, I struggled with belonging, with feeling like I fit in anywhere. I remember we moved to Virginia at one point. I was in middle school and man, middle school girls can be rough. And these girls came up to me and they're like, oh, hey, what's your name? What club or pool do you guys belong to? And in that moment, I remember just feeling so ostracized because my family couldn't afford to be part of a country club. We couldn't afford to be part of a pool. And that moment just stuck out to me as a time when I felt like I didn't belong. Later on in the marketplace, I was climbing the corporate ladder at an accelerated rate, but I felt like an imposter. Anybody ever feel like that? Like you don't belong in the place that you are? Well, I remember my company would host these industry events and we'd have a room full of people, people sitting at the boardroom table, people sitting around. And I would come in early, but I would grab my seat on the perimeter of the room. And then one day, one of my mentors pulled me aside and like figuratively kicked my butt. And he's like, Diana, what are you doing? You belong at the table. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Maybe you can remember a time as a child or maybe in your adulthood or maybe even you're feeling right now like you don't belong. Can I just tell you, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you belong at God's table. Belonging is a need fundamentally of who we are. So how do I belong? Great question, I'm so glad you asked. Anybody in here members of a gym? Okay, or a country club? How do you belong? You gotta become a member. How do you become a member? You gots to pay a joining fee, don't you? Or a subscription, you gotta pay to play. Well, let me just tell you, the kingdom of God works the same way. You've gotta pay a price to enter the kingdom of God, but can I tell you right now, my friends, not a single one of us in here has what it takes or has the means to pay to enter the kingdom of God. But I got good news for you. Jesus paid the price for you. That is good news. You can clap for God on that one. 1 Peter 1.18 says, you know that a price was paid to redeem you from following the empty ways handed on to you by your ancestors. It was not paid with things that perish like silver or gold or Bitcoin or cash, but with the precious blood 
of the anointed, Jesus, who was like a perfect and unblemished sacrificial lamb. You see, my friends, Jesus shed his blood so that you could be in right relationship with God. He paid the price for you. Now, Mephibosheth, he didn't deserve his seat at David's table. He was lowly. He was a servant at this point. He was living in a place called Lodabar, which literally means nothing. He was lame in his legs. He was paralyzed. He was an outcast from society. He didn't deserve his seat. And neither do we. But can I just tell you, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says, for it is by grace, turn to your neighbor, say grace, grace. that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, grace is unmerited favor. We all need it and we all have access to it. Grace is what qualifies us. Grace says you might be from the other side of the tracks, but you belong. Grace says that the people who loved you walked out on you when they shouldn't have, but you still belong. Grace says you've made a mistake in your life, but you still belong. You see, when you belong, your seat at God's table is saved. Your seat at his table is saved. Number two, rule at God's table, you believe. You believe. You see, grace, the first one, which gives us access to belong, is something we all have whether we choose it or not, right? Grace is yours whether you decide to accept it or not. But the second rule at God's table to believe is up to you. You have a choice, my friends. You see, God is a gentleman. He opens the door wide for you, but he doesn't shove you through it. No, he stands there waiting for you to choose to believe. You have a choice to believe. We're all desperately lost in sin. We're all desperately in need of a savior. What does it mean to believe? Man, you guys are asking good questions today. It means to acknowledge that we're in need of a savior and that that savior is Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse nine, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe, turn to your neighbor, say believe, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You see, God paid a price. He sent Jesus to the cross so that we could have that right relationship. And all we have to do is believe. Now, if you're in here today and you've not yet made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, if you've not believed yet, I wanna give you that opportunity here in just a moment. But first, I wanna address my believers in the room. Believers are the ones who claim Jesus as their Lord. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a week, maybe for 20 years. You know who you are. I wanna tell you a little story. There was a student whose professor challenged the class to teach a lesson on something persuasively. So he decided 
that he was gonna teach on the law of pendulum. So he gets up in front of his class and he gives kind of a verbal message to explain to them what the law of pendulum means. And then he switches gears and he's giving an object lesson. He takes a child's toy, he affixes it to a piece of string, attaches it to the chalkboard, and he explains the law of pendulum works that when this object swings back and forth, it will never advance past where it first starts. And he said, I'm gonna prove it to you. He takes a piece of chalk, he lets that that child's toy go, and every time it returns, he marks it with a piece of chalk on the board. And it shows that 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 child's toy never advanced past where it it started until it landed in a state of equilibrium, till it stopped. So he looked at his class and he said, do you believe in the law of pendulum? And they're like, well, clearly you just demonstrated it for us. Yes, emphatically so, we believe. So he's like, great, I'm gonna turn your attention to the rafters where I've affixed a 250-pound object that's attached to parachute cords hanging from the rafters. And I'm gonna ask our professor to sit up on this desk, a chair that I've put on top of the desk, up against the wall. When he sits there, his head is gonna be touching the wall. Now, the way that I've affixed this 250-pound pendulum is that it will land about a quarter of an inch from his nose. Now, this pendulum... The law of pendulum still applies, whether it's a small item or a large item. So he says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna swing this 250-pound object, and when it comes back, it will not crush the professor's face. So he lets the object go swinging. Now that 250-pound object swings back towards the professor, headed straight for his face, and the professor nosedives out of his seat, hits the ground, and the class gasps. And the student stands up and he looks at his class and he says, does our professor believe in the law of pendulum? Everybody said, no. You see, as believers, we claim that we believe, but then we fall on financial hardship and we start to question that God is our provider. We say that we believe, but then somebody we love walks out on us or betrays us and we start to question that God is really the God of love. We say that we believe, but then circumstances come at us like that 250-pound object flying at our face, and we are nosediving for the ground. If we believe, then it's in spite of our circumstances. Believing is in spite of our circumstances. Believing says, my circumstances might look like I'm doomed, but my God is gonna cover me. You see, Mephibosheth gets the invitation from King David, and then he has a choice to believe. Now, can you imagine, Mephibosheth's probably rehearsing one of those movies in his head where the evil one is like, come on, you can trust me. And Mephibosheth had to choose to believe. Hebrews 11, verse six, it says it is impossible to please God without faith. Many of you know this scripture. I love this second part. It says anyone who, com- who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and, big old and, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In other words, it's not enough to just believe that God exists. We have to believe that he's good, 
You see, even the demons believe that God exists. Are we believing today, church? God's table is full of provision, but we have to choose to believe that it's for us. Because when you believe, you take your seat at God's table. When you believe, you take your seat at God's table. Number three, rule at God's table is you behave. Uh Uh-oh. You behave. Now this is the one where I think most of us get wrong. I have people come to me all the time and they're like, Pastor, I will follow Jesus when I stop drinking, when I stop cussing, when I can get my stuff together. But that's not how it works. Because if we wait for that moment, we'll never follow Jesus. I can speak from firsthand experience. What does it mean to behave? Let me just tell you that a transformation, when we choose Jesus as our Lord, a transformation absolutely takes place. But it is not something that we're supposed to strive to achieve. If we're striving to achieve God's standard, we'll fail every single time. Let me tell you right now, you will never achieve God's standard alone. You see, the scripture says in Titus chapter three, verse five, he saved us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he saved me. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm sorry, I don't hear me, I, or we in that anywhere. It's all about what he did. You see, when we take the step to follow Jesus, the transformation begins. Now, I'm not saying that we just sit back and go, okay, I'm gonna chill on the couch with my potato chips. Jesus, do your thing. But it also doesn't mean that we strive to try and do it in our own strength. I love what Mephibosheth does in verse 11. It says, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Does it say he ate at the table like a servant from Lodabar? Does it say that he ate at the table like a dead dog? No, it says he ate at the table like one of the king's sons. In other words, he chose to behave like one of the king's sons. What should I be doing to behave like Christ? Great question. Well, the best way to behave like someone is to spend time with them. You know, God's word, the Bible, is full of facets of his character that are described using stories of broken messes like you and me. The more time you spend reading God's word, the more you will look like him, I can promise. Take me, for example. Yes, amen. I was a broken mess In high school, in college, I was jacked up. And when I found Jesus, a transformation started to take place. And the people who knew me before Jesus said to me, wait a second, you're different. Something's different about you. Because that transformation will start to show behavior that looks a lot more like Christ. Are y'all tracking with me? 
maybe you're in here and you're like, yeah, I've been following Jesus for a long time, Diana. But maybe you feel like your behavior doesn't necessarily reflect Jesus. Can I just challenge you on something today? Go back to the place where you first fell in love with him. Maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a physical place. I can promise you that Jesus is waiting there to give you a radical encounter that will wreck you in the very best way so that his light will shine through you once again. I love what Paul says to us in Philippians 3.14. He says, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. Let us then, who are perfectly mature. Anyone in here want to say that you're perfectly mature? Let us adopt this attitude. And if you have a different attitude, this too God will reveal to you. You see, accepting Jesus isn't the finish line. It's the starting line. And sometimes we have to go back to that starting line for a fresh infilling of his spirit, for him to revive us, to fuel us, so that behavior on the outside looks nothing like us, but everything like him. You know, it is so apropos today is Baptism Sunday. Like God prepared this message so specifically for today. And I just want to share, we got to witness 44 people get dunked, fully immersed in water to outwardly express the inward change that's happened for them. Isn't that amazing? So good. That's what it looks like to behave. And if you're in here today, maybe your heart is thumping right now. Let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit because he's saying your day is today to get baptized. If you've made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life and you've not yet been baptized, today is your day. We've got everything for you. Like Pastor Stephanie and Aaron said, everything that you need, I would encourage you to do that. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because when you behave, you abide in your seat. When you behave, you abide in your seat. Number four, last one. Rule at God's table. His blood. His blood. You see, we talked about belonging. And belonging means that your seat at God's table saved. We talked about believing, which means that you take your seat at God's table. We talked about behave, which means you abide in your seat. This fourth one, his blood has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with you or with me. It is 100% Jesus's blood. You see, his blood gives you access to God's table. His blood gives you access to God's table. In Hebrews 9, Jesus, the high priest, is entering into the holy of holies. And what he's doing is significant 
because he's exchanging and taking the place of what was done in the Old Testament where they would sacrifice bulls and goats and use that blood for atonement. And in verse 14, it says, so surely the blood sacrifice of Christ can do so much more. Come on, somebody. Christ offered himself through the eternal spirit as a perfect sacrifice to God. His blood will make us completely clean. From evil we have done, it gives us a clear conscience. Anyone in here need a clear conscience today? So that we can worship the living God. But can I tell you guys, we cannot serve both God and evil. Now, maybe you're in here today and you're like, well, wait a second, Diana, I'm a good person. Let me just tell you, it's not about how good you are. The scripture says we cannot serve both God and evil. We have a choice to make today. We can't ride the line anymore. No more riding the fence. It's time to make a choice. The scripture says to us, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. Whew. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of the demons. Today you have a choice. Will you choose God's table? You see, Mephibosheth had a choice. David came to him and said, come on, I want you at my table. And you know what I love about this? David sought him out. You know what this is? It's a foreshadow of how God seeks you out. God has gone looking for you to say, listen, I want you at my table. And Mephibosheth had to make a choice to trust the king. Do you trust the king today? You know, I love to envision in the scripture on gotcha day. When King David shows up at Mephibosheth's house and he's like, come on, son, I'm bringing you home. And you got the royal moving trucks and they're packing all of his stuff from Lodabar into the royal moving trucks and they're transporting it and they show up at the palace. Can you imagine what Mephibosheth was feeling? He shows up in his quarters of the palace and it's dripping with gold. He's looking around going, wow, this is my new home. This is where I belong. And then the dinner bell rings and the servants come walking into his room and they pick him up because remember, Mephibosheth was lame in his legs. He couldn't walk, he was paralyzed. And they carry him into the banquet room. The king's feast table has been prepared and they bring him up to the table. And they set him down. And as he's seated at the table, you no longer see his brokenness. You only see from the chest up. You only see that when he's seated at God's table, he is son, he is son. 
You see, Jesus' blood makes you son, makes you daughter. When you're seated at the table, it's his blood that covers your brokenness, that covers your mistakes, that covers the things that have been done to you. I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter what you've done. When you take your seat at God's table, he's got more for you. He's got more for you. Will you stand up on your feet, please? And listen, I just want to address, there's two groups of people in here today, church. I want you to just close your eyes right where you are because I want you to be able to be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. The first group I want to talk to right now, you had a seat at God's table, but you walked away. Something caused you to get up from the table. Something caused you to say, I no longer want to be here. I no longer belong here. But God is calling you back today. He's saying, I want you to come home. You're my son. You're my daughter. And it's time to come home today. If that's you, if that's you, you can feel it. You know it's you. I want you to just lift your hand right where you are. Come on, lift your hand right where you are. Right where you are. I see your hand way in the back. Thank you for your hand. Come on, come on, lift your hand. I see your hands over here. Come on, come on. All right, now what I want you to do, step out of your seat, come up front. Because listen, God wants to restore you today at the table. Come up front. Come on, church, let's give it up for them. Come on. If that's you, if you're ready to be restored at God's table today, He's seeking you out like David sought out Mephibosheth. Come up here, come on, come on, right here, right in front of the altar, come on, come on, come on, come on, don't stop, come on, come on, come on. If that's you, you fight your way through, say, excuse me, I need to get to my destination of restoration. I see you, I see you, come on, come on, come on. We're gonna have some leaders come around them and pray too. Thank you, thank you, proud of you. Come on, come on, listen, listen. He loves you so much. And this morning when he woke you up, he said, sweet girl, just you wait. I've got destiny in store for you. I'm so proud of you and so is he. He says he sees you, that no matter what's been done, that all of that is washed away because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. Come on church, let's give it up for them. Let's give it up for them. Restored at his table. Restored at his table. Restored, restored. There's another group in here. There's another group in here. And listen, you may not have made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life until today. And listen, He's calling you to your seat at the table. You've got that opportunity right now. All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, which we'll do in a moment. If that's you, will you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray for you. Come on, right where you are, right where you are. If that's you, lift your hand, come on. Your destiny secured in heaven when you make this decision, when you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth, confess that He's Lord. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna have you come join up here too, church. Let's give it up for them. So good. We're gonna all pray together. Just lift your hands right where you are. Everybody lift your hands up to heaven. 
I want everybody to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for saving my seat at your table. Today, I belong. Today, I believe. Today, I behave. And today, I accept his blood washes me clean, forgives me of all my sins. Today, I am restored as son and daughter of God himself. In Jesus' mighty name, 